we are going to examine more self-delusion of the pro-abortion movement. A ridiculously common-sense abortion bill in Louisiana gets a hearing before the Supreme Court while the abortion cult shows up on the steps of the Supreme Court to worship and celebrate their abortions and their murdered children as a necessary sacrifice for their version of the good life. Finally, AOC puts this self-delusion on full display and teaches us a very important lesson about humanity. I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted. Welcome back to Unaborted with Seth Gruber. So one of the first, or actually the first, Supreme Court decision related to abortion since the nomination and appointment of Brett Kavanaugh has recently hit the Supreme Court. So on Wednesday, March 4th, the Supreme Court began hearing oral arguments on this Louisiana law that would require, if passed, that abortionists have admitting privileges at local hospitals. Now, this bill has been tried before in Texas several years ago and was shot down and described as unconstitutional because it creates an undue burden for a woman to get an abortion, which is, I mean, it's crazy if you think about it. It's undue burden to make sure that the abortionists who are performing a surgery on the killing of a child, that they should have the same medical requirements and standards as anyone else who would perform any other type of non-controversial surgery. But of course, the abortion industry is always interested in making sure that there are as few laws on the books as possible so that they can increase the amount of abortions and have nothing in the way from... <laughs> stemming their cash flow that they make by killing as many babies as possible because there's so few laws in place to protect these children. So the June Medical Services versus Rousseau is the name of the law, is the name of the lawsuit, rather, of course, filed uh, by abortion-crazy legal foundations who don't want to see children protected in Louisiana. And this law would simply hold abortionists to the same medical standards as any other physician performing surgical procedures. Seems pretty common, by the way, especially if you know anything about the abortion industry, which is that you're frequently hearing stories around the country of women hemorrhaging. Some of them have died because they haven't made it to the hospital quickly enough to get the level of medical attention and care that they would need after having their body so significantly maligned and harmed through the abortion. And these admitting privileges would allow a woman to go directly to the hospital if she needs urgent care, care that in almost every circumstance, the abortion clinic is not equipped to give her. For example, if they rip through her uterine wall with forceps, because they typically do that blind while going into the womb to try to kill the child. All of this sounds like entirely common sense, laughably common sense bill. And yet the abortion crazies are very, very angry. So again, from National Review, Alexander DeSanctis on March 3rd writes, the admitting privileges requirement performs a real and previously unaddressed credentialing function that promotes the well-being of women seeking abortion. The Fifth Circuit wrote in its opinion, upholding the law right before it went to the Supreme Court. Public records and expert testimony have revealed that Louisiana abortion clinics, including June Medical Services, have failed to report possible rapes of minors hired radiologists and, ophthalm and ophthalmologists to perform abortions and neglected basical, basic medical practices such as failing to monitor the vital signs of sedated women. So June Medical Services has a history of botching it in their procedures that should protect the health of women. Another important detail in the case is that Louisiana's admitting privileges law 
treats abortion providers the same way that it treats all medical professionals who perform surgeries. State law requires all medical staff at ambulatory surgery centers to have admitting privileges at nearby hospitals, no matter what procedures they perform. The law in question merely requires abortion clinics to meet the same standards that every other licensed surgical facility in the state must meet. <laughs> abortion rights advocates lobbying against the law are essentially demanding that abortion providers be exempted from the safety standards properly applied to every other type of surgical medical procedure. Why would an industry that claims to prioritize women's health fight regulation aimed at ensuring that women who seek abortions can receive emergency care? What a great question. And of course, this does not restrict abortion in and of itself. If it might lead to the restricting of abortion, that doesn't say anything about the intent of the law. That just says something about the ability of the abortion industry to practice what they do for so long without any type of requirements to ensure the health of women. <laughs> and if passing this law that ensures the health of women and puts better procedures in place to ensure that they can receive emergency care if needed is good in and of itself, and if it leads to the decrease of abortion, that should be something that the abortion industry and the Democratic Party is willing to live with as a necessary evil in their botched ideology in order to protect the health of women who might need emergency care. Wouldn't you think that would be reasonable? Reasonable? Of course. So the abortion serviles oppose this common sense bill for the same reasons, folks, that they oppose the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act. Why? It might make it harder for abortionists to operate, therefore hurting the industry and thus decreasing abortions. Anything that poses a threat to decreasing abortions is unacceptable, according to the left and the abortion industry. So if that means we don't condemn infanticide because condemning infanticide plants moral premises in the law that might eventually lead to the protection of all life, then we're going to be opposed to that. If protecting women's health by requiring abortionists to have admitting privileges at a local hospital might decrease abortions by allowing less abortionists to practice because they might not be able to get those admitting privileges then it doesn't matter we're going to oppose that too because that might decrease abortions and stem our ability to make a significant amount of blood money off of the killing of children. Pretty sick. Pretty sick. So when they say they're pro-choice, pro-women, pro-healthcare, all of that is a bunch of BS and it's a bunch of a euphemistic political posturing in order to make the American public think that they care about women. Now, obviously, we know they don't because they don't care about unborn women at their most vulnerable stage of development. But now they're willing to put the health of born women seeking the abortion on the line in order to make sure that abortions are not decreased and no laws restrict women from getting an abortion. Anything that might even moderately hinder any woman's ability from attaining an abortion at any stage of pregnancy is unacceptable to the Molex serviles. So because of that, the abortion crazy showed up in their full unhinged glory to celebrate their abortions on the Supreme Court steps on Wednesday, March 4th, the day that the Supreme Court began hearing oral arguments on the Louisiana law. Now, We'll just play a couple people because there was too much evil to put on display for this show. But the first person who got up was Busy Phillips. Now, if you recall, Busy Phillips was the actress who testified before Congress in 2019 regarding pro-life legislation happening in Alabama and Georgia. Alabama tried to outlaw abortion outright. Georgia attempted to pass a heartbeat bill making abortion illegal when there's a detectable heartbeat. Well, Busy Phillips was very angry about this because she killed her child at 15 years old. She's been celebrating it ever since as a necessary sacrifice to obtain her version of the good life in Hollywood, similar to her BFF, Michelle Williams, who said the same thing at the Golden Globes. And if you watch Michelle Williams at Golden Globes, it kept panning over to Busy Phillips, who was in tears over the bravery of her friend, Michelle Williams. So these women believe the same thing. Killing their children was necessary 
to secure the American dream. So here's Billy Phillips going full unhinged, celebrating her abortion on the steps of the Supreme Court because she's very angry, very, very angry that the courts might require that abortionists have the same medical standards as any other physician performing any other type of surgical procedure. Here I was sitting in Los Angeles in my beautiful office of my own late night talk show. Soon I would be driving my hybrid car to my beautiful home to kiss my two beautiful and healthy children and my husband who had taken the year off to parent so I could focus on my career. And I have all of this, all of it, because, because, because I was allowed bodily autonomy at 15. I will not be shamed into being quiet. We will not be shamed into being quiet never again. I will never stop talking about my abortion or my periods or my experiences in childbirth, my episiotomies, my yeast infections, or my ovulation that lines up with the moon. Jeez, who are you trying to convince, lady? My goodness. Anytime anyone is that angry or that frustrated and animated defending any choice that they made in life, you can probably assume that they're not fully convinced that what they did was right. <laughs> right? And you, you've probably seen this in your own lifestyle, right? Maybe with your spouse or with a friend or with a sibling. When, when someone is defending something with such vitriol, with such anger, with such apologetic I'm sorry, unapologetic energy, you can probably assume that they're trying to convince themselves that what they have done is not wrong and they're begging for you to approve of them. They're begging of you to applaud their choices so they don't have to deal with the small but still voice in the back of their mind that spells a guilty conscience. This is the same pitch as Michelle Williams, isn't it? that the dismembered limbs of my murdered child were a necessary sacrifice to achieve and obtain my lavish lifestyle. My effing house, my effing kids, my beautiful life, my husband who stays home so that I can make the millions. All of this I was able to achieve by murdering my child. That's what Michelle Williams said, right? She said, this beautiful tapestry of my life, sometimes messy and sometimes beautiful that I was able to paint, blah, 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 blah. I'm rich and I was only able to do this because I practice bodily autonomy. Busy Phillips is at least intellectually honest enough to use the word abortion, whereas Michelle Williams, if you recall, never said the word abortion in her Golden Globe speech. Busy Phillips is a little, just a little bit more unapologetic. Look how angry they are. At what? At what? At the Supreme Court looking at overturning Roe versus Wade, at the Supreme Court looking at allowing Georgia or Alabama to ban abortions when there's a detectable heartbeat? No. At a law that's saying abortionists, like any other physician, ought to be held to the same medical requirements and standards as everyone else. And to ensure that women who might get injured during an abortion can efficiently and easily be transferred to the local hospital and taken care of. That reality, the possibility of that law, leads to this type of vitriol from Busy Phillips. Unreal. 
Yes, she's self-deluded, but she's also afraid about the same thing that Maisie Hirono is afraid of, that Elizabeth Warren is afraid of, that all of these infanticidal apologists are afraid of, which is allowing moral premises to find themselves in the law that might, when consistently applied, fully demand the respect of all life, whether unborn or born. Next, here's Renee Sherman. This woman calls herself the Beyonce of abortion storytelling. And she came onto the scene about the same time as Busy Phillips. And shortly after that whole you know, shout your abortion movement, which was really the first step into the celebra celebratory nature of abortion. Now, people have always celebrated abortion, but but culture on the cultural level where you actually have a movement of people getting on board with it. Shout Your Abortion was really the first step into the celebratory nature of abortion, followed by Busy Phillip, followed by Michelle Williams, and followed by this woman, R Renee Sherman, who literally calls herself the Beyonce of abortion storytelling. Sounds a little, sounds like a little bit of hubris there, maybe a little bit of pride, a little bit of self-promotion, <laughs> um, but this is who she is. So she is on the steps of the Supreme Court as well. Very, 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 very angry. So here is the Beyonce of abortion storytelling. Where are the abortion providers at? Where are the future abortion providers at? Woo! Awesome. And a special shout out to where my people who had abortions. Where y'all at? Nothing about this work is going to be without us. Woo! Awesome. So, as I said, I had an abortion when I was 19. It was honestly one of the best decisions of my life. I was simply not ready to become a parent, and that's really all you need to know. So in a very similar way, Renee Sherman says that she needed to kill her child because she didn't want the child. She wasn't ready. And she's not going quite as far as saying, I'm rich now, and thank God I'm rich because I didn't have a child to raise. But she just wasn't ready. And the discourse in the abortion debate has, has made a significant change in the last several years. People have always celebrated abortion. They've always gone out and marched for reproductive health care. But it, it wasn't so popular. And the debate often turned on this idea of personhood. For years, the debate over abortion was the debate over the personhood status and value of the child. And Hillary Clinton years ago, said on national television, the unborn child is not a person according to the Constitution, as, as the term person is used in the Constitution. So there used to be a little bit more of an intellectual debate. Now, these ideas are still morally bankrupt. But there was a, a meeting of minds that happened more often in the abortion debate, where the abortion apologists, the Molech Serviles, the pro-abortion individual, would defend their beliefs by saying it's not a person, it doesn't have rights, it doesn't have rights of personhood. It resides in my body. It's dependent on me. Therefore, it's not a person. Again, evil arguments, but at least there was an intellectual meeting of minds to defend your position. The, the discourse in the debate has moved from a meeting of minds into selfish promotion, into purely um, selfishly driven desires and wants. There's no argument that's being offered, at least the conversation over the personhood of the unborn is an argument, and they provide reasons as to why they don't believe the unborn is a person, but there's not really even an argument being offered anymore. In fact, as a pro-life speaker, I know how difficult it is to find people who are willing to debate on abortion. Me and many of my friends have often commented on how difficult it is to find pro-abortion philosophers or advocates who are willing to step onto the university campus and, and debate a pro-life individual. 
Abortion debates used to be very popular. They happen all the time. Why are they not happening as much anymore? Because people don't want to meet intellectually to defend their ideas. Because as Ben Sass says, you can't defend the indefensible. So now it's this purely shameless, selfish bravado that is basically just a verbal F you to half of America. I don't need to explain anything. I wasn't ready to be a parent. And that's all you need to know. That's what Renee Sherman, that's not an argument. That's not an argument. That's the justification. You haven't offered any reasons as to why abortion should remain a legally protected right for you to access. I needed it. I didn't want to be a parent. I wanted fame and fortune, and I can do whatever the F I want. That's really the message of the pro-abortion movement right now. They're not even attempting to engage in a meeting of minds to convince people of good faith who actually care about thinking through their positions and ideas, as opposed to jumping on an emotional bandwagon. So what does this massive shift in the debate mean? Well, with advances in science and with the advances in ultrasonography that is enabling us to see the child at some of the very earliest stages of their development, defending abortion has become, simply put, indefensible. It's become indefensible. It's always been indefensible to the rational mind who understands that there is no such thing as a human non-person. So if human life begins at the moment of conception, it's a person because those are synonymous terms. To the rational mind, it's always been indefensible. But because of the sexual revolution and these ideas of postmodernism and relativism that have inculcated the culture to the extent that people have self-deluded themselves into believing that there is such a thing as a human non-person, those people are now refusing to engage in the meeting of minds and just resorting to shameless, selfish bravado and promotion to justify their decisions to justify their role in the death of their child. So abortion crazies have embraced self-delusion and emotional arguments. And we're going to look a little bit in a second as to the consequences of the self-delusion and, and maybe how we got here. And we're going to turn to a certain individual that you might not expect to teach us a lesson. Uh, and that would be the, uh, the uh, individual AOC, the rabid anti-Semite and pro-abortion advocate who claims to be a person of faith and recently complained to all of us about the historical use of religion to justify bigotry, which she finds very offensive as a person of faith. But first, I've teamed up with my new friend, Sarah Vienna, for a pro-life church tour. Sarah is an international speaker and singer who lives in Romania and works with orphans and rescues children and serves families. And she is devoted, as I am, to protecting the rights of the unborn, the needy, and the vulnerable. And so our I'm Alive Church Tour is named after her song, I'm Alive, capturing both the beauty of the pro-life position and the truth to equip those in your church to be a voice for life, to love their unborn neighbors and their mothers and fathers while also equipping them to defend life. So if you're interested in bringing this tour to your church in the summer, go ahead and email us at imalivetour at gmail.com, imalivetour at gmail.com. We're only booking churches in a two-month time frame. So if you want to bring I'm Alive Tour to your church, email us at imalivetour at gmail.com for questions and bookings. So AOC recently, uh, in a congressional hearing, begins complaining about the use of religion historically to justify bigotry, which if you know anything about her, you should sort of be laughing at the irony of that statement already. And so she puts her self-delusion on full display by complaining about the use of religion by racists, those opposed to, uh, to racial equality and those in the Holocaust to justify bigotry because she says, as a woman of faith, I find that deeply disturbing. And we're gonna look at the lesson AOC has to teach us about self-delusion and how perhaps so many members of our country 
have arrived in this position of self-delusion as it pertains to abortion. And experiencing this hearing and I'm struggling whether I respond or launch into this question as a legislator or from the perspective of a woman of faith, because I cannot, it's, it's very difficult to sit here and listen to arguments in the long history of this country of using scripture and weaponizing and abusing scripture to justify bigotry. White supremacists have done it. Those who justified slavery did it. Those who fought against integration did it. And we're seeing it today. And sometimes, especially in this body, I feel as though if Christ himself walked through these doors and said what he said thousands of years ago, that we should love our neighbor and our enemy, that we should welcome the stranger, fight for the least of us, that it is easier for a rich man, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into a kingdom of heaven. He would be maligned as a radical and rejected from these doors. <laughs> That's funny, right? This woman is literally a bigot. Bigotry is the discrimination against someone else for being different. This woman is a rabid anti-Semite who campaigns with people and is besties with people who literally call for the destruction of the state of Israel. She's pro-abortion through point of birth. There's nothing more bigoted than denying a human being the right to live for being different, for being unborn, for being more dependent, for being smaller, for being less developed, and for being located in an environment that you're currently not located in, but you used to be located in when you were an unborn human but weren't killed by your parents. She is the she is a full-fledged bigot who discriminates against the unborn for being different. Oh, and as a woman of faith, I'm struggling on how to respond about the botchery of scripture used to justify bigotry. Well, if you're a woman of faith, then you're doing exactly what you're accusing everyone else of doing. And isn't this a hilarious observation of the left? They always do the very thing that they accuse others on the other side of the political aisle of doing. They are always guilty, nearly always guilty, of doing the exact things that they accuse their political opponents of doing. And most of the time, the things that they are accusing their political opponents of doing, they're not doing. It seems like she's talking about uh, the rights of illegal immigrants. Christ walked through these doors and said to welcome the stranger and the immigrant. And she's been campaigning on this for a long time. This is her big thing, right? We need to grant am amnesty to all of the illegal aliens immediately so they'll all vote Democrat and we can flip this country blue. She's not going to say that, but we know that's what she wants. And uh, and so she, she, she is literally doing exactly what she's accusing other people of doing. If she's a woman of faith, then she herself is, is creating a synthesis between using scripture and justifying her pro-abortion position and her hatred of Jews because she's besties with Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar who literally hate Jews and want to see the destruction of the state of Israel. <laughs> so she talks about a long history of using scripture to justify bigotry. White supremacists did it. Those who justified slavery did it. And apparently ageists like you do it too, AOC. You're an ageist. You discriminate against unborn human beings for being younger. Because I don't think you want to kill one-year-olds or five months old. So you arbitrarily say children have value when they're born. Because why? They're a little bit older. So you're an ageist because you call for the murder and dismemberment of unborn humans because they're younger. So you use scripture to justify your form of bigotry, which happens to be ageism. And then she appeals to Christ. 
Oh, spare me. You would have murdered the prenatal Christ if you found yourself as a politician in the first century. You would have supported the ride of Mary, who checked all of the abortion industry's checkboxes for their clients, for their prospects. Women with no career or job, a boyfriend or husband threatening to leave them, providing them with less ability to support themselves, and being incredibly young. Mary, the mother of Christ, meets nearly all of the Planned Parenthood checkboxes that they look for in young women to treat them like prospects. Spare me, AOC, your concern over people butchering the legacy of Christ to justify bigotry while you currently do the same exact thing. And had you been protecting Roe versus Wade in the first century, apart from the sovereignty of Christ, you would have murdered the prenatal Christ, who apparently you think does have value because you call yourself a person of faith and you recite his words, but you don't think any other human beings created in his image who find themselves in a womb that Christ once found himself in have any value. My goodness. So AOC actually teaches us an important lesson here. She teaches us the lesson that ideas have consequences and bad ideas have victims. And when you embrace bad ideas long enough, you become self-deluded. That's the lesson AOC has for us here. She is as self-deluded as Busy Phillips and as uh, Renee Beyonce abortion storyteller and as Bernie Sanders and as Elizabeth Warren and everyone else who knows that infanticide is wrong, but won't do anything to protect those infants because they can't allow anything to threaten the abortion industry because they've self-deluded themselves into believing that the unborn is actually an example of a human non-person and is the property of their mother to treat however they want. Just like the plantation owners said they could treat African-Americans however they want because they found themselves on their property. AOC teaches us a very important lesson here. Ideas don't happen in a vacuum, you see. Ideas shape us, they form us, they impact how we see the world. Ideas are like a secular liturgy that form us into the people that we'll be and the way that we choose to live our lives. Your ideas or your worldview, let's call it, become the lens through which you see the world. And so if you hold bad ideas, then the lens through which you see the world will be a fantasy world that does not actually reflect objective reality. So if you wear fantasy lenses long enough, you'll begin believing that what you're seeing is reality. But it's not reality. It's a fantasy that you've convinced yourself is reality. I mean, this is pure Orwellian 1984, right? Two plus two is five. Two plus two is five. Two plus two is five. And you would be treated by the government as a political dissident that they would violently mistreat if you didn't agree and believe yourself that two plus two equals five. And now they do the same thing as it applies to abortion. These people are self-deluded to the extent that they actually believe what they're selling. These bad ideas have led to their self-delusion and they're not even aware of the fact that the lens that they are wearing through which they see the world is more like a manipulated virtual reality than it actually is objective reality. So the self-delusion of the abortion crazies can take two forms. Self-delusion can either take the route of therapeutic self-delusion or honest self-delusion. Here's what I mean by that. Therapeutic self-delusion might be something like Busy Phillips is doing. Therapeutic self-delusion is the philosophical need that you have to convince yourself that what you did was right in order to salve your guilty conscience. Because that still small voice that says, what you did was wrong, you killed your child, is emotionally overwhelming. 
if you allow that voice to gain volume. So therapeutic self-delusion is just the philosophical strategy of convincing yourself that the bad ideas you hold are actually good ideas. That vice is that virtue is that vice is actually virtue because you cannot come to terms with the fact that you arrange the death of your child. But the problem is if you maintain therapeutic self-delusion for too long, if you don't take those fantasy lenses off, you will begin believing what you sell. And that would be the other sort of self-delusion option here of the abortion left. That would be honest self-delusion. If you tell yourself a lie long enough and enough times, you'll actually believe it. People who fully believe what they're selling and they actually feel zero guilt about their abortion. They have, they have, they have deluded themselves that the bad ideas they initially adopted are now not just true, but they're righteous, they're pure, they're good, and they're worth defending. That's why someone like AOC can think that she is some type of salvific prophet in the realm and path of Christ who's calling out on bigots, who she accuses of using scripture to justify bigotry while she does the same thing. How could she do that? Because she's so self-deluded that she believes what she's selling. She doesn't even know that the lens that she's wearing are portraying a world to her that does not exist. You know, scripture says in Romans 1 that God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. What is more dishonoring of your body and the body inside you than getting an abortion? Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, a fantasy, a farce, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. Abortion is the selfish service of self above God and anyone else in order to please your sexual appetite. Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. When you abandon the objective reality that we're all beholden to, eventually God will give you up to the depravity and debaseness of your mind and of your thinking. And you will be walking around in a fantasy world and thinking that you're living in reality. Unfortunately, there's always hope for people. That's why Romans also says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. No one's too far gone. We can always be transforming by the renewing of our mind, but we have to be willing to pursue truth regardless of where it leads us. Even if in the pursuit of truth, we begin to become uncomfortable with how what that truth poses to our political philosophy, to our abortion ideology. Some of these people may be too far gone, but we should hope they're not. And we should certainly pray for them because self-delusion is a hell of a drug. Confirmation bias is a hell of a drug. And if you don't abandon that in pursuit of good ideas and truth that actually make room for human equality and the equal protection of all people, then you'll continue thinking that the horrific deeds you defend against humanity are good and righteous and that we should serve you and protect your right to kill others. That's not the kind of world we want to live in. Well, thanks for joining me today. Head on over to iTunes and YouTube. Give the show a rating and review. Let us know what you think so we can reach more people. And if you want to learn more and engage with me online, come hear me speak live and local or read up on my writing. Head on over to sethgruber.com. You can also subscribe to my newsletter to get information and equipping delivered to your inbox. Well, we'll be back next week with a whole lot more. Until then, I'm Seth Gruber and this is Unaborted. Unaborted. <laughs>